0: Last spring, I heard that our upstairs neighbors had added a trampoline to our shared backyard. It brought back memories. Remember when you were a kid and your friend had a trampoline in their backyard? Or maybe you were the family that had this set up for hours of fun. Fun, that is, until some kid fell off and broke his arm. And that was not an unlikely scenario considering how many kids crammed onto the platform at the same time. Yeah, I think about that and I hear a voice inside of my head telling me to avoid anything with that much risk. I was concerned about my then two and four-year-olds getting hurt playing on the neighbor's trampoline. But then I saw the trampoline and realized it was small and had net sides and other safety features. I started to relax, and my kiddos enjoyed bouncing on it when we went outside. When our neighbors moved, they took the trampoline with them, and when winter came, my wife and I decided to investigate getting a small indoor trampoline with net sides. We did that, and it's been a great way for our kiddos to burn off some energy during the long winter months in the midst of a pandemic. All that backstory explains how I did something seemingly out of character a couple of weeks ago. I built a jungle gym climbing dome in my backyard for my now three- and five-year-olds. It's the kind of equipment that makes me anxious at the playground as I watch my kiddos navigate their way across bars five feet above the ground. I try to support their growing capabilities and not let my concern about them getting hurt become a message in their head that they are only safe with both feet firmly on the ground. I would not have so readily agreed that getting a climbing dome was a good idea if I hadn't seen my kids practice their growing comfort with taking risks at the playground. But it was the fact that i had already acquiesced around buying a trampoline that made this purchase not so out of character. As my kids learn to take risks, so do I. Your challenge this week... Going from a sandbox to a jungle gym would have been too big of a leap for me if I hadn't experienced our neighbor's trampoline. Finding a way to test out an idea before having to fully commit to it will open you up to new possibilities. Starting smaller will build your confidence, calm your nerves, and make the next rung on the ladder seem much more achievable. You've probably already taken some small steps over the last few years. Is it time to update how you define yourself and your limits? There's a difference between doing something new and identifying as someone who is capable of doing that new thing. Expand your sense of self and quicker than you expect, you'll be more open to new ideas and new actions. Try this and let me know how it goes. And I have a question before we dive into this week's interview. Are you ready to get outside your comfort zone but need some accountability as you try new ways of approaching your business? Ask me about my drop in monthly mastermind sessions perfect for anyone who's had business for at least two or three years and is ready to take it to the next level. These sessions are two hours a month with no monthly commitment. Email me at Robbie at RobbieSamuels.com to get started. Now, onto this week's interview. Today's guest is on a mission to provide institutional financial support to the world's most gender-impactful strategies and entities, thereby enabling them to deliver value to the world's women and girls. She is the founder and CEO of Women of the World Endowment, a global endowment focused on investing in and through women as drivers of solutions to today's pressing challenges. She has made strategic, large-scale contributions to the growth of the gender lens investing market, and is widely recognized for driving innovation and building sustainable global investment programs with a focus on both profit and impact. She actively drives forward a capital system more inclusive of women and girls and one that is racially diverse. Please join me in welcoming Patience Maramay Ball.
1: Thank you so much, Robbie. That was a lovely introduction and it is so fantastic to be
0: here with you. Patience, I love that you're here. We're going to have a great conversation. Thank you for joining me from your home office in Washington, D.C. Let's kick this off, right? it's is a show about building strong networks and the context is leadership. So tell me, how do you define leadership? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead?
1: Yeah. So um, um, I would define leadership as embodying three things. Um, first of all, you know, constantly asking yourself, are you living your full potential? Um, and that means that anyone can can be a leader. If you're li- living your full potential, you can be a leader, right? Are you driving and that that is interrogation that is around, are you driving for challenges to the, to the things you care about? And that's part of living your full potential. Um, second is, are you having a multiplier effect? Are you influencing others and bringing others along? You know, how are you influencing them? And um, how are you engaging with them as, as change makers to, to help with the, the building that world that you, that you want to see? Um, and then finally, uh, I would say, are you building an ecosystem? Uh, and and that means um, an ecosystem could be, you know, are you mentoring people uh, to be to also live their full potential? Are you um, working with others to develop strategies uh, and solutions to to deliver that change that you want to see? Are you removing the friction? Um, that sits in, you know, between the what is and what should be, are you doing the work with others to actually remove that friction? I think if you, if you can say yes to those three things, um, my sense is you're doing a good job of being a leader, whoever you are, wherever you sit in the world. Um, and, and you asked me, when did I realize that I had, uh, the skills for leadership, uh. I would say that um, it was probably very early in life. So I had uh, my paternal grandmother, who who said, um, "This one, she's not going to amount to much," because I was I was a gregarious, you know, uh, girl child, and I was born in Zimbabwe in a place where being a girl child meant that um, there were certain sort of parts you're supposed to take. Um, and being gregarious wasn't really the thing that you were supposed to be, but I always was. And then uh my uh, maternal grandfather, who used to say all the time, you should have been the firstborn child. Uh, he was recognizing something in me. So it was it was um you know, I, I was always interested in finding solutions in um I I don't want to say telling others what to do, but bringing others along is a gentle way of saying that my grandfather noticed that thing in me that wanted to constantly be pushing forward and bringing others along.
0: Okay, wow. There's so much good stuff I want to unpack here. So, okay. First of all, I've been doing this show for almost 250 episodes and I absolutely adore your definition of leadership. Like, I, I mean, it's very thoughtful and multiply effect is like ringing in my head. Like that's such a great way to think about it. Like, you know, are you doing your self work? Are you having a multiply effect? And are you creating an ecosystem that allows others to also amplify? Like, and if you're doing those things on a regular basis, like whoever you are in the world, like you're doing the work. And a lot of people probably doing that work don't even identify as leaders. Like they don't claim those titles, right? They don't have the title. They don't claim the title. And, um, and thank you for bringing us to the origin story of you (laughs) patience, (laughs) patience, the origin story, and that you, that you went back to really early days, because I know I've asked, I've asked this question a lot. And a lot of times people will tell me about their first corporate job or this time in grad school or something, you know, something like in their twenties. And you were like, I was a girl child in Zimbabwe (laughs) and I was gregarious. And it was basically out, you were out of step culturally with what was to be expected, but your it sounds like your grandfather noticed something in you, and he wasn't put off by it. he He seemed like he was almost nurturing it in his own way. did he Did he have sort of a like a respect for you and and who you were in the world?
1: Yeah, so I think you know my my grandfather uh, was unusual in the sense that he had three daughters and four sons, and his three daughters got as much education as his four sons. And so he saw. The potential in his um, girl children as much as he saw in his uh, boy children, and um, and because he had he was open minded like that, uh, he could see what others perceived as gregarious. Oh, she's gonna end up in trouble. She's not gonna get anywhere. He saw as as real potential, and and he nurtured it, and it made me believe that I could walk in any hallways, I could walk in any part of the world and and be you know and be okay it, it made me find my place uh, and purpose in my own mind right I, I was comfortable i was not it made me not af- afraid of my own shadow uh, and and that was just critical uh, because it is i 've always been the same way i I navigate rooms. Um, in a in a way that says I'm not afraid to be here. I want to be here. I have every reason to be here, um, and I think that's that that especially in girl children is really critical.
0: What a powerful lesson to receive so early in life, um, because the story could have also been that you were being crushed, and your spirit was being beaten down for for daring to live out loud. You know, and, and, that, and that probably story is happening and has happened. So for you to have the opposite, which is for you to find, I don't know, like you found yourself, like you found a comfort in who you were and a belief in yourself that you carry with you as you move through the world. And I'm sure that you also then therefore make space for others, like because you're aware of the, you're aware of that tension. So you're not just walking to a room by yourself, you're walking in the room and opening the door wider.
1: Absolutely, and and I think um, that is, you know, part my upbringing, but just part who I am. You know, um, recognizing that, uh, and it's actually an Afghan proverb that if you want to go, um, you know, not very far, you you go alone, but if you really want to uh, go further, you bring you bring others along. So, so I'm I'm culturally inclined that way, but um, I also see the value in, um, because I've always been interested in tackling the big things. And you don't do that alone. You you do that with community. And so I've always been interested in who else has the same dreams as me? Who else has the same, um, sees the world the way I see it? Um, and what tools do they have that I don't have? What do they know what connections do they have that I don't have? And how about we collaborate? What about if we bring all these things together and and you know big some build something that's much bigger than any one of us? So it's it's one plus one equals more than two kind of um way of, of navigating the world.
0: Yeah, no, I mean it's um I, I'm curious when you were 12, 13 years old, did you have a sense? like what you wanted to be, like, did you have a, a way of thinking outside of your, your circumstances that you, because of this upbringing that you had with your grandfather, sort of creating that, that space for you?
1: You know, it's, it's, um, it's interesting. I was an avid reader. I read all the time. So I shared, um, my bedroom with my sister and at the crack of dawn, because I didn't want to wake her up, I would open the curtain. My bed was next to the to the window. I'd open the curtain and start reading. And reading gave me a visual into worlds I did not know yet, you know, places that I'd never been, um, circumstances that I couldn't even really be, you know, dreaming of. I was lucky. My mother um, was a teacher, um, a trained teacher, and my father was um, you know, also relatively educated and worked as a police officer um, until he became involved in politics. And so I had, you know, you know the, a family in life that was uh, stable, so I didn't have to worry about too many things, uh, which is an issue with a lot of um, folks. I didn't have to worry about too many things. I, was, I, I, let it, I, was, um, I had a comfortable childhood. That allowed me to read, to uh, see other worlds that I that were not um, immediately uh, accessible to me, but to figure out what my world, what my place could be in those in those worlds. Um, and so, even at a very young age, I um, I think that's part of what my grandmother meant when she thought I was gregarious. You know, I was I was always imagining imagining something more and in wanting to be something more. Um and seeing my place in places that were just maybe in books and not in the world that I actually lived in. Um, and so, you know, I would say that um you know that kid uh at 12 and 13 who just knew that she was she wanted to be more um I don't know that I've ever stopped wanting to be more. I've, you know, whether it's as a mother, as a leader, as a, as a friend, as, um, I've never wanted to, you know, stop wanting to be more.
0: Yeah. So, uh, you know, because your mother went to school, uh, and went to higher ed and, and, uh, went to university, did you then know that that was your path too? Was that like a given?
1: So, so she actually went to teacher training college. She didn't actually well. It's it's not like university in mm-hmm. that in that sense. But um, uh, after many years of teaching, she then went on to become a manager for a, a multinational. Um, did I know that uh, that was going to be my path? I, you know, I think that. Um, so my parents divorced when I was four years old, um, and. Uh, I lived with my father and my stepmother for a while and that in of itself was informative uh, in that it made me realize that, um, you know, uh, you have to be resilient. You have to uh, to build re- inner resilience as well. Um, but, you know, my mother, for a woman who was um, uh, divorced, uh in a country that's very much a patriarchal kind of uh, community and for her to have done as well as she did, um, she, you know, was able to buy a home in a, in a very lovely neighborhood. She was able to provide for all of us. There was, there was just so many things that she was able to do in spite of what the world and her circumstances would dictate that she, you know, she should, not be able to do. Um, and so, you know, just having that, and I, and I remember, you know, I look back sometimes, uh, when it came to doing well in school, um, I, I did quite well in school, uh, you know, part of what would drive me every day is, you know, your mother is going to be proud, you know, you need to drive yourself to do better because, you know, your mother is going to be proud.
0: What a great role model to have grown up with, too. A a woman who, like, lived beyond her circumstances and and rose above and, you know, found found a different place in the world than the world wanted her to be in initially, you know? Um, Yeah,
1: to buy her, not to interrupt you, but to buy her the house that she wanted to buy um, in a very nice neighborhood, she had to get her brother to co-sign for her because the legal um, regulations did not allow for a woman to get a mortgage on a house in her own name. She had to get a co-signer, regardless of the fact, but she actually, you know, had the the capital uh, right. capacity, a job, and everything to be able to to get that mortgage. Um, yeah, interesting, right?
0: It, it, I mean, it is. And so, when you um, were in your twenties, like, did you have a path forward? Did you like? I mean, you, you kind of dove into investment and a lot of things around money and finance and not something that a lot of people are drawn to because it's complicated and confusing and other people can deal with it. Were you always kind of drawn to numbers and or was it more the justice and equity piece that, that drew you into doing this work?
1: Yeah, that's interesting. So I left Zimbabwe when I was a teenager and uh, ended up in the U.S. through Europe. I studied in Europe before coming here Um and um, then I went to, to law school uh, at Northwestern. Uh, and in my first year of law school at Northwestern, I thought I was going to be a human rights lawyer, by the way. I went and worked uh, with a legal um, for my first summer, my first job that summer. I went and worked with a legal uh, clinic in South Africa, providing legal services to, to um, um, Africans, you know, black South Africans. And telling them that they had a right to shelter, they had a right to food, they had all these rights. And then at the end of my time there, I realized that I was telling them that they, right, that, that they had rights that they could not access if they didn't have the economic capacity to access those rights. I mean, it was very clear to me. The second part of my summer, I worked at the International Court of Justice. Uh, which was, you know, looking at, you know, the enforcement of international law. I wanted these two bookends, to, to, you know, to my summer, and recognize that too was informed by economic might. You know, countries with, you know, uh, that are economically better uh, do not find themselves um, held in front of the ICJ, and the other way around. And then that's when I realized I wanted to actually um, partner my law degree with an MBA. And applied to Kellogg, so I ended up doing a J.D. M.B.A. and ending up ended up um, working more uh, in finance, but always at the intersection of you know what I'd realized that summer, which is we want inclusion, we want for people to have more, but the 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 thing that allows that access is economic uh, capacity, uh, and and. Capital fuels so many things. And so I just knew I had to be on the side of capital, but in a way that spoke to both.
0: So at some point, you left like a, you know, a, a day job role and started creating your own stuff. Is that kind of the path that you went on?
1: So, so you know, after law school and business school, I went and worked for um, the International Finance Corporation, which is an entity that invests around the world Uh, And so my my work was really everywhere else in the world. I worked on on every continent um, doing this work of marrying capital to economic change for people. Um, And so I I did that for many years and took early retirement in 2014 to then start building Women of the World Endowment. But Women Women of the World Endowment is really um, something that started in 2009. After the 2009 financial crisis, when Christine Lagarde said if Lehman Brothers had been Lehman sisters, things would not have turned out this way, I started looking at what exactly would have been different if women had been at the table. And that enabled me to think about, you know, what the world might look like if women have um, capital, that they they have the power to allocate capital um, and the power to make decisions, whether in companies or or elsewhere um, in a way that actually brings about sustainability. And so that's how I started building these uh, interventions and strategies and products that are focused on investing in in and through women. And uh, then in 2018, launched Women of the World Endowment, which is a, a fairly significant ambition, Um, trying to uh, focus on investing, putting women at the center of um, driving solutions for today's most pressing problems. So whether they're environmental problems, social problems, realizing that if we can provide women with financial fuel, with financial capital, they can be the change makers that they are uh, and build much more systemically, Sustainably um, better
0: communities so you said two thousand and nine is when you started working on these ideas after the that globe that <laughs> that global financial crisis, which is different than the ones we've seen since then <laughs> but um and then twenty eighteen is when it officially was launched in the world as uh, the world the women of the world endowment, so you were an overnight success is what you're trying to tell me ten years in the making.
1: <laughs> no, I, well, well, over the, the 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 time between two thousand and nine, I actually built the world's largest um, separately managed account focused on investing in women. It's called the Banking on Women Business Program at, at the International Finance Corporation. It is it has deployed billions of dollars into women entrepreneurs around the world. So I did did that as an entrepreneur inside an organization, and then I retired. And then after that, and building something yeah. similar, but slightly different for, you know, outside of an existing organization, yeah. um, you know, because now I want to build something that's a hundred percent intentional, the so institutional capital that's a hundred percent intentional on centralizing the role of women as change makers.
0: So you had the experience, you must've had all the connections you needed. What was the What was the challenge as you just made this major shift from, you know, getting a paycheck and having insurance and, you know, having the security of a job and then deciding that you were going to, you know, take the early retirement and go wholly on your own to create this, you know, did you have entrepreneurs already in your life at that point? Did you have a clear sense of what that meant? Did you have to bring in people who backfill the parts of the work that you didn't know? Like, how did you approach that as a challenge?
1: Yeah. So, so I think you know, um, first we have to um, go back to the story of my childhood. Which I'm 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 a person who's not afraid of my own shadow. Uh, I'm a person who has you know f- fairly significant um, um, ambitions about how we can change things. Um, and then I didn't say uh, because we've kind of uh, been talking about a, a number of fairly significant things. I did not uh, talk about the fact that I co-founded a company with my husband in 2005. So I had had the experience of actually starting a company. Um, he was a CEO, I was the COO and ha- help, helping to build it. I did go back to having a job um, and went back to the IC because, you know, the IC represented that intersection of capital and doing good that I always Loved, And I thought if I'm going to have a job, I'm going to go back to uh, this place that allows me to do that. And so I've I've had, you know, certain experiences. But, you know, to your question about networks and how important they are, um, you know, as a woman of color, um, you know, most of us, but certainly for women of color, there is, um, you have to be incredibly intentional about being uncomfortable. Because a lot of the conversations you're going to have um, if you don't know somebody who we'll out slightly uncomfortable uh, because we are aware of microaggressions. We are aware of all kinds of, you know, um, uh, and real challenges, you know, that are real uh, and some of them imagined. Right. Some of them are just imagined. And so we might not reach reach across across the political aisle. The gender aisle, the you know the um, race uh, and this ethnicity differences, um, or the technical uh, aisle, you know whatever the thing that separates you from the next, it becomes for the from the next person it becomes somewhat of a challenge to uh, to reach across, but at the same time, if you do it, there is so much value in it. There is you know some some of those. Um, networking uh, opportunities are not going to go well. That's fine. But most will, because what I know about people is we are just built to try and help each other. Really. You know, most of us are built to try to uh, journey with others. And, and so I've had the fortune um, because I've worked everywhere in the world to have networks that extend across the globe um i can be in any given country and i'm going to know somebody i can be uh similarly um because of that comfort with walking in different rooms i have people who are very good at certain things that i can call on people who have extensive networks that i can call on people who have capital that i can call on um so it's 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 um, it starts with being intentional about being uncomfortable, and recognizing that um, you know in order to to achieve the big things that I've always been drawn to, and knowing that you can't do it alone, it means that I have to build more than financial capital. I have to build network capital. I have to build um, an ecosystem uh, around me as much as I'm trying to build an ecosystem around solving challenges, I have to build that ecosystem around me. As
0: this well. idea of being intentionally uncomfortable. Um, I love that you name this because, you know, you have so many reasons to, to have that awareness and the people who don't have that awareness, who are still really worried about, you know, all the things you said, like basically reaching out to other and, maybe those people aren't facing the microaggressions, right? But they're still really anxious. I think there's a lot to learn from someone who's saying, I walk through the world knowing that for me to accomplish things that are bigger than myself, that I need to then reach out to others and that I then have to be aware that I'm opening myself up to some discomfort and um, that it can all still be worth it, that it is still a, uh, a beneficial you know effort and um, so so thank you for sort of naming that because you know the 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 idea of you sh- you're, a lot of the places you're showing up, you're probably one of the few people of color, one of the few women of color, and then have to sort of navigate that as well. And yet if you shirked that and said no no, no, I don't want to be just dis- I don't want to be that uncomfortable, then you would not have had the impact you've already had on the world and the impact that you hope to still have will never be realized.
1: Absolutely. You are 100% correct in that um, You know, I always say that when I don't take the time to be intentionally uncomfortable, I'm missing out. And when somebody else doesn't take the time to be intentionally uncomfortable and get to know me, they're missing out. Um, and, and in missing out, you're actually giving up on currency, right? Uh, on the currency to be able to navigate the world to do more to to be you know to have impact in more ways than you yourself can can think about um, and 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 the bigger fear for me is actually the fear of missing out on that opportunity rather than the, the fear of being rejected because I've reached out and somebody just doesn't see you know how I'm valuable um, the bigger fear is if i don't make this connection and this is the connection that might make the difference in the ch- in the change that i want to to have in this world uh, or the impact i want to have this, in this world that i'm more afraid of that
0: actually. i love this reframing that you have around um you know like what what is the actual thing that you'd be afraid of and you know the 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 whole Wayne Gretzky you miss 100% of the shots you don't take right like you know that if you don't do it, nothing will happen. Mm-hmm. And if you do reach out, no matter how uncomfortable it might be, sometimes doors open and you find connection that you didn't find. I'm, I love finding uncommon commonalities. That's been one of my favorite things to do um, is to help people find those uncommon commonalities that, that go beyond sort of the perceived difference and to realize they actually have shared values or shared uh, interests. And maybe even some shared identities that you know were not seen until they talked, and then it's like, "Well, you too!" Oh my gosh, me! And now they're fast friends. And I just think you know that doesn't happen if we're only treating each other from like a distance. And it's interesting how even in this pandemic, by hosting well well thought out executive, you know, um, well thought out um, social events and, and networking events where people can really in- connect and engage with each other. They're seeing all these opportunities to find those connections that in some ways going deeper than they might have in person, because in person, they're all being polite and in person, they're nervous about navigating in and out of the conversations physically, don't know where to stand. And here it's like, okay, everyone, here's the question, go into the breakout room, discuss. And it's like, you know, and and it's, it worked. These are icebreakers. They work. (laughs) They you know, they wouldn't work in person because it would feel so heavy-handed to tell a room full of people, okay, everyone, now talk about this. But you can do so, in some ways, I found like a joy in doing this online. Um, and now your work is global. So I imagine you've been doing things remotely for a very long time. And has anything really dramatically changed the way you approach your work or your networking now that everybody is also doing all this remote and virtual?
1: You know, you know what I think. Is different is that we're giving each other permission to connect on a technical level, but also connect on a personal level, right? Um, our conversations because you know I'm talking to you, Robbie, and i you know you have a background that gives me a sense of your home, um, unless it's a it's a sharp background. Uh, the same with me, right? Um, in that way. You know, you're connecting to more than, you know, just you know the technical side of what we're talking about here. You're connecting, and so I, I personally think that, um, and and then you know the the emotional stuff that we've collectively gone through in 2020, the things that we've collectively seen seen that we cannot unsee, uh, all of that stuff, you know, has given us this permission to be both, you know, uh, connecting with the mind as well as with the heart. And I, and my hope is, you know, going back to your first question about leadership, my hope is we become more thoughtful about um, leading with both that leadership actually evolves from just, you know, the technical stuff, the, the stuff that we do with our heads to the stuff that we do when our Beings are in conversation with both the technical stuff and the and the things that speak to our hearts, right? Um, and you know having you know while we're talking, my son walked in and you could you could sense that I got a little uncomfortable because but you know it's it's all part of what we've um, learned to do. So we've all for my team, we've always been virtual, which means that we have to find ways of being in community while always apart, and so we have, you know, team um, games, uh, we, we observe each other's birthdays and, uh, excuse me, each other's anniversaries, we will, you know, do uh, games about getting to know each other better, we will drink together, we will sometimes just say, bring your lunch um, to, you know, to the meeting and we'll eat together. Well, you know, those things, um, to your point where, you know, brought back lunch on such and such a day, you know, in the office, if it ever happened, now we can do it like that, right? We can just say today, you know, tomorrow, let's have our meeting and everybody bring your, your food. And I have, you know, team members who are in Europe right now, um, some team members here in the U.S. Um, and team members on the, on the, you know, West Coast, and we find, you know, they might be having their morning coffee, I might be having my lunch, Charlotte in France might be having a dinner, but um, we we have that opportunity to be in community. Uh, and I think it just allows for greater creativity, uh, better relationships all around, even though we're not physical. Um, and so, you know, um, online, th- this online stuff that, wasn't meant to be okay, It's actually turned out to be pretty cool.
0: <laughs> yeah, I love hearing that because I just hosted an event today. Uh, it was a social for a law firm's LGBT employee resource group. And they were hosting one of their clients, which was a bank, Their bank, that bank's employee, uh, LGBT employee resource group. And I ran this hour long social. And even the way this happens a lot to me, the person doing the introduction says, I really wish we were in person and I can't wait till we get But in the meantime, you know, we got to do it this way. And so they set it up with the like low, low, low expectation. The bar is set so on the floor, practically. Exactly. And then I have so much fun with them. And I've, you know, I've got them laughing and I'm playing some music and we're we're, we're having them do shout outs to each other and sharing their wins and telling stories about their names and like what they will have to learn. And it's just... And they're like, the time just flew by. And they were all like, we don't know how to have fun. You know, don't ask a lot of us. That's what they told me in the prep. They're like, listen, we're lawyers. It was so fun. And even they were like, wow, that hour just went by. So I think that it's about having examples, like living an example, experiencing that it's possible to do something like you're talking about that's really engaging. And I, you know, I love identifying like, you know, the, the nine o'clock, two o'clock and six, sorry, nine o'clock, 12 o'clock and six o'clock, right? Like that's that's your coffee, lunch and dinner, you know? Like you just do a noon Eastern and you can kind of, everyone's got to eat sometime, you know? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I love this. I love doing employee engagement stuff online and just member engagement. And I do think that there's a way in which it, I don't know, it feels hokey, but you can do more in, in some ways. So I love talking to people who've been remote and like are now, I think even more people are having fun with it. And there's more resources for teaching people how to do a better job. I would love to talk to specifically about your networking strategies around like you have your sort of inner circle and your second and sort of third layers out of your, your network and those those second and third layers out are people that you maybe see once a year at a conference or you work with five years ago, or basically they're people you enjoy. Uh you, you enjoy them, but you don't have a reason to work with them right now. How do you nurture and sustain not just your inner circle, but like those sort of next step layers? Like do you have any habits or philosophies or practices?
1: So one thing about me is that um, because I come from a place where um being in community is such a, you know, I was born into this it's such a big thing you know we we are just communal uh beings um i I, you know for those who are proximate i tend to insane quite a bit when you know outside of uh this current situation have you know i have a dinner table that sits 18. um you know through this you know pandemic we've had you know i've had drinks with friends um whom i don't uh, generally hang out with, you know, just Saturday afternoon, you know, let, let's get together. There's been more of that, actually, in, including with people I went to school with. Um, this this goes back a little bit to 2020 as well, that uh, I think 2020 want, made us want to become closer to, to people. And so, you know, there's been more reaching out, more doing with people online just because of that. But in terms of you know business kind of um networks how you how you nurture them, I think it's partly being available to others right making yourself available to others whether you know when they're looking for something and they you know send a note out you you always you know even if the answer is i don't know anything I don't know anyone coming back with you know nothing that looks like what you're looking for, but this may be helpful so always being uh, open to being helpful. Um, I've never been one for newsletters. I actually don't like newsletters very much, but um, I think folks are coming up with new ways of communicating with people that are, you know, a bit of newsletters, but a bit of storytelling right through about what's going on in your life. And I think people are communicate, um, are better able to, to do those, use those tools. And at Women of the World Endowment, we are doing the same. We are being intentional about, you know, telling our story a little bit more effectively. Um, um, and then, you know, finally, I would say that, um, we have a saying in my country that says, that means those who've met and cared for each other will always find each other. And you may not, folks in your network, you may not be in contact often, but make sure that when you are, you are present, right? That in of itself might mean that I get to see you or I get to talk to you once every five years, but when we, when we do, it's powerful, and there's value to that too. It's not the frequency, but the quality of those inter- interactions is what I think.
0: I love all of this. Yes. I And I wanted, I'll i pick up one piece that you just said, which was about the newsletters. So I've, I've had a business for years and I had a podcast for the last four and a half years and I struggled with what to share in a weekly email. Mm-hmm. And even when I had a show, I didn't want it to be, hey, everybody, here's my next episode. And in fact... I did that for like three months. And I, I, I go back and I looked at the emails. They're like apologetic. Here's a short interruption to your day kind of email. Like, can you imagine? So I, three years ago, started writing these short stories, 350, 400 words that have a business or life lesson, but you don't know what it is until the last third of the story. So it's got a little twist. So I could be writing about my garden, my kids, anything. The other day I was writing about flossing and <laughs> my habits. I, love it. I and, love it. And what was the lesson? Habit stacking. Yeah. <laughs> so, and then after it. the lesson comes a Your Challenge This Week section where I have three or four bullets where they can then take the action themselves to implement that business or life lesson into their own life. And it's been such a great feedback. And I'm actually going to take the best of from the last three years this year and turn it into a book. so I am-
1: Sold. I am sold. You've got to put me. So I'm not a fan of newsletters, but you've got to put me on the mailing list for that one. Uh, is all I can say. I am it's, absolutely
0: sold. You know, but it's I. I find it more fun to write it, and in fact, I'm not a person who loves writing. Like I find the idea of writing, I was like, oh, I'm not really a writer. But like, then I went and wrote a book, so I was like, well, I guess I can say I wrote a book. But. I think it's a fun challenge to try to find something in the world and try to find like a story and then try to find a lesson in it and and make it interesting and keep them on their toes. My mother actually, I don't use graphics, you know, it's just literally you open it up and it says, My mother says, Hi, mom. So she thinks it's a letter to her every week. She says she falls for it at least twice a month. She's like has no idea until she gets to the bottom third of the the story that she realizes it. So it's been great way to have people, you know, stay in touch, and people know what's going on in my life, and vice versa. And I love the replies. So I, I, you know, yes, let's get creative about what we share and how we share it. And storytelling so powerful um, for all the work that we're doing in the world. And you, and you probably have so many stories to share with uh, the endowment.
1: And 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 you know what I what I love is how you connecting it with the thing that everybody can relate to. So um, all of us can relate to flossing. Some of us don't do it well enough. Or often enough, and like my sons, and some of us do, but we can relate to flossing. And so if you start there, I'm likely to be drawn in because I can relate to it. And then you get to the I, I, I love this, I love the strategy. And as I said, I'm all in. I'm all
0: Fantastic. In. Well, listen, anyone listening right now can go to robbysamuels.com forward slash the number nine ways to get my nine ways to network in a pandemic and sign up for that newsletter or you can go to nomorbadzoom.com to sign up for my weekly virtual happy hour as well. And I will make sure patients that you have that information after this call. But first I have my final question. So we are going to stay in touch. I know it. I love your energy. And uh, a year from now, we're going to be talking and you're going to say, it's been the most amazing year. And then you're going to share with me all that's been just going so well. I want to know what are we going to be toasting What are we going to be celebrating? And what are you most looking forward to in the year ahead?
1: So um, coming out of 2020 and the exemplary uh, roles and leadership uh, that women have shown as leaders of countries, as caretakers, as frontline workers, um, as all kinds of things. that We've always been, by the way, but the world has never had a moment of being still, to notice those things. Coming out of 2020, in 2021, we must not lose the opportunity to make sure that the world does not forget that. The world does not forget the centrality of women to problem solving, whatever the problem might be, the challenge might be. And so I am hoping that on the other side of 2021, we will talk about how the paradigm is shifted from women as beneficiaries of this thing and that thing to women as drive, drivers of sustainable change. So I'm hoping that. Two, I'm hoping that um, with that shift, will be a shift in how capital is allocated in them, for them, through them. Um, and and I'm also hoping, because you know we are building an endowment. I'm also hoping that you and I will be toasting the fact that our the corpus, our endowment corpus, has grown substantially. Uh, because as it grows, we'll be able to do so much more, and I'll have even more stories to tell.
0: I can't wait to celebrate all of that with you, Patience. That will be amazing to celebrate that with you. We'll speak it Thank into existence you. right here, right now, everybody. I love yes. it.
1: I'm taking uh. that
0: and holding it tightly. Please do. All right. So Patience, how can people find you and learn about your amazing work?
1: So my email address is Patience at Wawa Endowment. That's W-O-W-E-N-D-O-W-M-E-N-T dot org or Women of the World Endowment. Simply search Women of the World Endowment and you'll find our website and uh, if you send me an email, I, you know, as I said, it takes a village. I will absolutely come back. And I'm looking forward to uh, building an even bigger, more impactful network because folks have who have been listening to you um, all along, have now discovered, you know, somebody else they want to know. And I'm hoping that uh, I'll have new friends and yes. Women of the World Endowment will have new ambassadors.
0: I love it. I love when my listeners write me to tell me they've reached out to some of the guests and connected afterwards. So please keep me posted, everyone who's listening. Patience, what a pleasure. Thank you for joining us today.
1: Thank you so much, Robbie.
0: I hope you enjoyed that interview with Patience. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 241. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's show, as well as all the archived episodes. Reach out and let me know which are your favorite interviews. Also, if you're on Clubhouse, find me at Robbie Samuels and click on the bell in my profile so you're notified when I'm speaking in a room. If you enjoy this episode with patience, please share it with that one friend you know would love to hear it. And don't forget to subscribe for free yourself so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review on Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance. And I look forward to connecting again next week. We'll be interviewing another talent professional who's achieved success in their field or industry. Us probing questions to get them to share untold stories about their leadership journey and how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then... Have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at
1: www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E.